0: Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Tonight, um, we're jump, jumping back into our class, praise God, on Corinthian letters. And uh, so as we walk through uh, the book of First and Second Corinthians, the books of First and Second Corinthians, um, I invite you to ask questions during this time. You feel, f- feel free to raise your hand and ask a question because we want to be as informative as possible and answer as many questions as possible, especially those that particularly pertain to the subject we are on, all right? I don't mind rabbit trailing a little bit here and there, but um, we're here to learn specifically the, these letters and their content. And uh, so sometimes your questions, I understand, will be a bit theological. Some will be practical to everyday living. Um, So I just want to invite you to feel free to do that and just understand that when you raise your hand that we're going to have somebody bring a microphone to you uh, so that we can record your question because we have people watching um, on live stream right now. Hello, all of you live stream audience. We love you. And those listening by podcast and hello to you, to all of our podcast subscribers. God bless you. uh, That may have the same question that you have. And so it's important that we document all this that we can. All right? We're going to have a good time. But we have one order of business right. to do before uh, we jump into the word tonight. And I want to call Michael Gifford to please come forward, the man at the sound booth. Michael Gifford is a man of many talents. And um, yeah, Michael. <laughs> Michael broke into our house back in January. February? Uh, January. December. January, whenever it was. And, 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 and just stayed. And uh, so uh, he's been our upstairs um, roommate since January. And uh, Michael has, you know, it was interesting that it took me a while to get used to him. And there are a lot of things that are, that are alike about us, a lot of quirkiness, Singing to, your, singing to yourself around the house, you know. But then this guy takes talking to yourself to a whole other level. And, like, he'd be walking by, he'd be talking to me like, what? Is it? Oh, I'm just talking to myself. Oh, okay, just, he's Rain Man, you know. It's, mm. great. <laughs> anyway, but Michael's been a great blessing. It's been a great blessing to, to know you, Michael, to have you in our home. And to have you serving in our church here, and you've been a great, great blessing. And now he's, Michael's stepping out into a new venture in his life. He's going to be attending Lee University, in uh, Cleveland, Tennessee. Cleveland, Tennessee, where Doyle Dykes lives. Maybe you'll run into our friend Doyle Dykes out there. And you're going to be studying uh, film. Film. Going to be studying film at Lee University. So um, he's going to be heading out Sunday. Is that right? Yes. Or Monday. Somewhere around there. So um, we want to just take this moment to pray over Michael and bless him in his new venture and thank God for what he's deposited here in our hearts and in our ministry and uh, believe for great things for you, young man. Father, thank you for Michael. We thank you, God, for the... God, that he is a man that you have gifted abundantly. And Lord, we know that there are so many things yet to be known and understood and discovered within this man. And, Lord, that even, but the greatest thing he has, he has the treasure, this treasure, that is this salvation, this relationship with God in this clay vessel, in this earthen vessel. And I thank you, Lord, that that, that truth in his life, that reality, God, will begin to shape him more and more into what you're taking him into as far as his, as his future, is his career, Lord, his ministry in yeah. the earth. Thank you, Father God, for your yeah. blessing and favor yeah. upon Michael. Declare over him that no evil shall befall him and no plague shall come near his yeah. dwelling. You give your angels charge over him to keep him in all of his ways. Now, thank you, Father God, that yeah. you... Cause him to rise above and to prosper. And Lord, to thank you for the favor of God that surrounds him is with a shield. Lord, he has, as Proverbs says also, that he has favor with God and man. That the steps of this man are ordered of the Lord. God, that as he plans his way, we know that you're going to be guiding his steps, God. Ordering his, his steps. Thank you, Father God. And uh, Lord, I thank you that you help him find a good wife too. Is he needs somebody to take care of him, <laughs> and and that she'll know how to nail stuff to the wall where it'll stay when he walks by and bumps it. And thank you, Lord, for blessing him in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. <laughs> Amen. I love you,
0: both. yeah, And that's where we're really a lot alike. Heather's like, great. I have two Erics now in the house. <laughs> Walking around, clueless, breaking stuff. <laughs> Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we ended somewhere around verse 17 where Paul said, which got us into the discussion on water baptism, which led us to last Wednesday. Wasn't that fun? Yeah. Last Wednesday, yeah. when we got to baptize a few yeah. of you, Don being one of them. When. Gina's not here tonight, is she? Kyle. Elizabeth. Sam. Who am I missing? And Yeah, Kennedy. Yeah, Kennedy, but she's not in here tonight. She's in Kids Church, isn't she? So um, anyway, just great. And Pastor Andrew Newbold brought a great... Uh, Great word here. And also I know that I talked to Pastor Brian and that he knocked it out of the park in our Irving campus as well Sunday morning. So uh, great things. I love that, that, that new connection that we have with Andrew and Megan. I think God's setting us up for something down the road together. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Amen. Yes, amen. Chapter, eight, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. All right. Now, I want you to notice something. He says the message of the cross. Not just the cross, the message of the cross. All right. Because it's not just about the cross. Because lots of men were crucified on that instrument of death. All right? It's the message of Christ's cross that what was happening when he died on the cross was different than what other men were doing. Other men were receiving their due, their penalty for their crime, but Jesus hung their innocent and was blamed for all of our crimes, took upon himself all of our punishment, all of our sin. He became the sin center of the universe. Himself and took upon Himself the punishment, the guilt, the shame, all of it. Thank you, Lord. And that's the message of the cross. Christ died for our sins. All right? That's the essence of the gospel. If we don't put for our sins in there, we're not really giving them the essence, right? Christ died for our sins. And He was buried. Guess what? For our sins. And He rose again from the dead for our sins. So the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And this is why. Because man, left to himself, wants to earn something. Huh? He needs to work for it. He needs to earn it in order for it to be authentic. In order for... He needs a reward. But salvation doesn't offer that. The the message of the cross does not preach that to us. It says, Christ earned it for you. You cannot earn it. You simply receive it by faith. You cannot earn this salvation. You cannot earn a good standing with God. You receive that good standing by faith because Jesus, praise God, was the one who stretched out his arms and died for us. And in so doing, as the great Oral Roberts said, and with one arm, he reached up and took the hand of the offended God. And with his other arm, hand, he reached down and took the hand of the offending sinner, and he brought them together in reconciliation. Amen. And so we couldn't do what Jesus could do. No man could do it. No woman could do it. We were powerless to save ourselves because we were born in sin. That's why God sent his son, born of a woman, but who had his father God's nature, not Adam's nature. So he was not carrying that sin nature. So therefore, he brought this new nature to us. Amen. And um, I'm, I'm grateful to God. But it says... to those who are perishing, but to the, us who are being saved. Say being saved. It is the power of God. Do you know that as a Christian, you are being saved. As a Christian, you were saved. <laughs> you are being saved and you will be saved. All right. I'm just going to give you some basic theology. Can, I, can we go over that? I know so many of you know this, but it's always good to hear it again. I'm going to give you these lofty theological terms. All right. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. All right, those are all have to do with the salvation of our spirit, our soul, and our body. Let's say that, justification, yes. sanctification, yes. and glorification. Yes. All right, so you were saved, that is, you were justified. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, therefore, having been justified by, what, how are we justified? Hmm, by, by how well we perform? Because we're philanthropic? because we're raising awareness. huh? Now, why? How are we justified? By faith in what? Faith in him. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, what do we have? Peace with God. That word peace is the Greek word, and it means, oh, I love this word. It means the end to the rage and havoc of war, a state of national tranquility. That's what the angels said when they at the announcement of Christ's birth. Peace on earth. There is no war between heaven and earth in this baby. Hallelujah. He's come to make all things new, to reconcile man back to God, to unravel and undo the works of the devil. Amen. Amen. He, he said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Now, he's not talking about, he's not, Jesus was not, you know That announcement wasn't saying, now there's peace, and Jesus is saying, no, I, I, no angels got it wrong. I didn't come to bring peace. I can not bring the sword. No, he's talking about the sword that would begin to um, pierce the hearts of those who had not understood any of this. This sword would come, and it would, be, it would bring division. Uh, it would bring division between people and separate those who would put faith in him or faith in themselves. Faith in Jesus or faith in their religious system, all right? So he didn't come to to reconcile all of that. He came to bring a new thing. And that sword was also against the enemy as well, To to rob, to disarm the devil of all of his power, and he did it. Amen. So... Having been justified, let's look at verse 9 of also Romans 5 there. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Wow, that's awesome. So what has happened affects what is going to happen. Isn't that beautiful? He didn't just save you from your past. He saved you from a wrathful future. He saved you from that which you earned, what's coming to you. He saved you from that. He saved you from the wrath to come. Wow, that's amazing. So this is an all-inclusive justification, past, present, and future. Saved you from the wrath that was, the wrath that is, and the wrath that will be. Praise God. That's a thorough work. So you're justified. That happened all in the Spirit. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, all right? So Jesus made that happen for you. Now there's this thing called sanctification, or where you are being saved. You were saved, justification, now you're being saved. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 for a moment in verse 11. This says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For both he who sanctifies, speaking of God, and those who are being sanctified are all of one. So I want you to catch this for just a moment. While you are in process, <laughs> you already are like him. Yeah. Yeah. Got to understand this. Because we, we get it in our minds sometimes that God is way down here waiting on us to stink and grow up. Like he's waiting down here at the finish line. I'm waiting on you, dummy. I'm, try- I'm trying to catch up, God. I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to be a good Christian. Right? And always feeling like we we'll are never measure up when he says you already won with him while you are being sanctified. Mm-hmm. Woo! Now, does that make you feel powerful all of a sudden? Yeah. Hope that made you feel good right there because that's what it's for. For which reason he is not, watch, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them what? Now, he's not talking about the final product. He's talking about the process. You who are, you got the mess going on in your life right now. Hmm? Less than perfect things are happening in the house, in the mind, in the mouth, in the actions. But look at this. Because you're one, he says he's not ashamed to call you family. Now, you might have some family members in your life. That you don't really want anybody know knowing that you're akin to them, <coughs> mm-hmm. and you try to minimize how many times you got to see them every year, or if ever, <laughs> right? We don't those are those we don't speak of, right? But Jesus sees you in your process while you're being sanctified. And he said, that's my brother. That's my little sister, Valerie. That's my little brother, Tony. Aren't they awesome? They're perfect, aren't they? Oh, don't look like it, Jesus. Yeah, they are. They are. Because whatever I start, I finish. Because even though they're in process, I already see the finished product. I know what I start. It has a good end to it. My projects don't fail. We are his workmanship. that's good to know. All right. Now let's look at Hebrews 10, 14. Now look at this. This helps us also understand this body, soul, spirit thing a little bit better. For by one offering, which offering was that? It was the offering of him, of Jesus' body on that tree. For by one offering, he has perfected, how long? How long did he perfect you? Forever. Forever, those who are in process. How did he do that? That's how thorough this salvation is. That's how much he believes in what he's done. He has already perfected you, so that has to do already. We understand that that is in the Spirit. That's a reality right now because we're already seated in heavenly places with him. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as Ephesians so wonderfully describes our existence in the Spirit in Christ. But now it says he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. This, I want this to just build you up tonight and encourage you. That there's more to you than what you see with the eye. Hmm? In the eyes of God Almighty, He has perfected you. And let me tell you something, how God is looking at you. He's looking at you in the Spirit. He's looking at your heart, He who reads the hearts. We look at the outward appearance. That's not what God looks at. He's looking at the heart. And He's looking at a heart that's changed. He's looking at a heart that's made brand new in Jesus Christ. Amen. Right. He is not. He really isn't. He really did get over the sin issue. <coughs> God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Thank you. Amen. Hey, if God got over it, you need to get over it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I think if we would start, em, stop emphasizing sin so much like we do and emphasize God's grace, whoo! I think we'd see people set free a whole lot more often. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Living in real freedom, in His strength, and His power. Amen. Right. And th- so, so sanctification is, is what we're living in right now. And this has to do the, in the realm of the soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. Um, and so this, this is where we are making the choice to live from the inside out. Okay? So that next thing is, is to then... Tell this body, you're going to reflect what's in here. Yeah. And the body's going to go, I don't want to reflect what's in there. Thank you. Come on. Yeah. You've lived two minutes as a Christian. You know exactly what's happening there. The body's saying, I don't want to do that. But, but you say, you're going to do that. Yeah. So you're going to renew your mind so that you make the right choice. You're going to renew your mouth, and that's going to have to be a daily thing by getting his word in your mouth so that you can empower this body. Because James says, if you can control the tongue, you can control your whole body. So your whole life is following what's coming out of your mouth. If you don't like what's going on in the body, you might check your mouth. What are you regularly saying out of your mouth? I don't know why. Me and my wife can't get along. How often do you say divorce in your, in your, when, whenever you get ticked off at each other? I mean, how, how much death can you talk before you finally live in that reality? Huh? You've got to get that stuff out of your language. You've got to get that stuff out of your speaking. All right? And, and you've got to speak, and, and, and your, your words are the building material, if you will, for your future, for your, the world that you're creating for yourself. So when you get the Word of God in there, you create the kind of life God came to give you to have. All right? You're speaking So this is what I'm talking about. This is that sanctification. This is where we are consecrating ourselves continually to God in thoughts, words, and actions. Thoughts, words, and actions. Okay, now watch this. And glorification. we got to keep moving. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's bring up 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Isn't that good news? It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And what it's saying by that, it being a spiritual body, that the body that you will have when Jesus Christ comes and, and, and we get the full experience when our bodies are brought up out of the graves and those who are alive still and remain and were caught up together with them in the air, that at that moment there is that glorification where the body is made alive as a spiritual body. That is, that body will now act like the spirit man. There will be no separation in its desire from the desire of the spirit. See, right now you're in this war, as Paul taught us, right? The natural mind does not understand the things of the spirit. The body is at at war with the things of the spirit. These two are contrary, and they cannot agree. So it's just this constant fight, this constant struggle. But there is coming a day when you're going to have the spiritual body. Full yeah. glorification. Yeah. Amen. Spirit, soul, and body. So you were saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. Amen. So this is where we live right now. Any, yes, sir. Don. Uh, let's wait. Let's get a microphone to Don, please. Where is my mic, men? There we go. Yes. All right, where's the, do we have another one? Testing. There we, there we go. go, thank you. Don, right. yes, go ahead. Yeah, my question, uh, is our spirit self already in heaven? Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, you, I mean, otherwise you'd be dead. Right, but I mean. Uh, you got to have your spirit here. But, but it's, hard to, it's hard to really wrap our minds around the spiritual reality that we have. It seems there are no bounds in the spirit. So even while your spirit is here, the inward man is here, that treasure and earthen vessel. There's also this other reality in the eternal realm that we are seated with him positionally right. in heavenly places, which means he has given us all the authority through his name and through the position that we have in Christ, seated next to him in heavenly places, and having every spiritual blessing, okay. which means all blessing can come to us from that spiritual position, that okay. spiritual reality. Right. God. Excellent. All right, thank yeah. you. Praise Good question. All right. Anyone else before we move on? Anything? All right. Good. Well, let's keep moving then. Is this clear to you tonight? Did I make it clear for Okay. Let's look at verse 19. For it is written. Remember, he said the cross, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God, Right? to us who are being saved. Now watch this. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. All right. So what is he talking about here? Paul is quoting Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 14 here. So if we could bring that up on the screen, I want you to see this for just a moment. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall shall be hidden. Wow. So we need to understand why he's saying that. So let's back up to verse 13 in 29 where it says, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Oh, man. There's religion in a nutshell. Okay? Okay. So, verse 13 makes it clear why God is going to bypass the wisdom of mankind. It's because they were only going through the motions of serving God. It was lip service. And, but their hearts were nowhere there. They weren't in it. They weren't in there. They were just going acting it out, as it were. They knew about God intellectually, but they didn't know Him personally. Therefore, the Lord said that he would work a marvelous work or a miracle. I love this. So what would be that miracle? The miracle among them would be to believe, to exercise their faith and believe. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. So this would stop the wise and the prudent of the world from thinking that mentally understanding the things of God was sufficient for salvation. Or as Brother Copeland says, just having a mental ascent and no further than that. They would realize that they were not able to comprehend God's plan through their minds alone. They would have to have faith. Hmm. See, there's a revelation that comes when you believe God. When you put your faith in God, you get a new knowledge about things. You get revelation. It doesn't happen the other way around. Faith is first. And then when that happens, we are then granted repentance. I'm, I'm sad to see so many preachers that are bound up in this legalistic thinking that you have to repent and then believe. How can you, changing your mind doesn't save you. Believing changes you. And then whenever you believe in your heart, then now you have given the, you're given the ability to then renew your mind on a daily basis. Hallelujah. So, but faith is always first. It's always the essence. For anything. And then we live a life of repentance. Amen. Okay. So, for by grace you are saved through faith. Mm, not repentance. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Okay. So, they would have to have faith. So, look at verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of, the, of this world? So, in, in other words, Paul is asking, how do these intellectuals relate then to ministering the gospel. Where are they in the equation? They're not anywhere in that equation because this is about simply believing God. And this can be seen uh, by context. Look at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. That is, the world through its own wisdom. Remember what Proverbs says? There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. All right? Man left to himself in his own carnal thinking will always crash and burn. All right? So, and that the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God that through the foolishness, I love this, that through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. That's why I'm saying this message is so powerful. This message saves people's lives. This message that is preached or declared from our lips, how shall they hear without a Preacher, because if they hear, then they can do what? Then they can believe, and if they'll believe, then they'll call on the name of the Lord, and if they'll call on the name of the Lord, then they'll be saved, okay? So it's the message that saves. It's not our fancy words. It's not us. We need to help them understand. Okay, I don't mean to get too, I'm not going to get mean. I'm just, I'm just saying we got to keep the gospel pure. and The essence of it is Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. All right, it's not on you to try to explain all that. You just declare it. And the gospel has a power in and of itself to save a person, to give them understanding. How? When they believe. As I've talked to you before, you know, some of you that were water baptized on last Wednesday night, had you tried to understand that through your own thinking apart from faith, you probably wouldn't have done it. You You would have seen what's the point of that? But when you believed, you got revelation. Oh, now I understand. Communion, right? I mean, let's just think about that for just a moment. Just what we're doing, just by our own thinking. This has nothing to do with the heart believing. Jesus said, you got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. You need revelation to understand what he's talking about there, right? If you don't have faith in, in him, you won't really understand what's going on there. Wow, that's a, that's a powerful thing. There are lots of things that are not known. You cannot comprehend through this carnal mind. These things have to be believed on, and then a revelation, an illumination happens. All right. So he's saying this is how the wisdom of God is, through the foolishness of preaching, which makes the world scratch its head. Those who operate in the world system don't find much of a place in God's kingdom. Uh, it's not because God won't have them. It's because they won't have God. Right. Their own reasoning keeps them from receiving the simplicity of the gospel. Look at verse 22. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block. Now, why is that a stumbling block? Oh, oh. Why is that a stumbling <laughs> block? Pardon me while I go through puberty up here. <laughs> We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. Now watch this. What, why is it a stumbling block to them? Because they don't, the, the Messiah is not supposed to die. Hmm? He's not supposed to die. He's supposed to come and take over and establish his throne. He's supposed to sit on the throne of David, right, and establish the kingdom there. It doesn't make sense for him to die. And if he dies, then our sacrificial system is over. That's why it's a stumbling block. It did not make sense. When John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, he sees Jesus and he points at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Think about what John the Baptist was doing. He literally, in one sentence, canceled out the whole sacrificial system. In other words, he's saying, He's the Lamb that's going to do away with all of that. I mean, it's a wonder they didn't stone him for saying that. The stumbling block. It's a stumbling block. Now watch. And to the McKinneans, Foolishness, or wherever you come from, foolishness. It's beyond this intellect. But to those who are called, look at verse 24, those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Oh, okay. So what is the wisdom of God? It's Christ. What is the power of God? It's Christ. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's an interesting way to phrase it, isn't it? The foolishness of God and the weakness of God. I was thinking about that. I was meditating on that phrase itself. And I see that there is, you know, he's making a comparison here, but I think it's even deeper than that. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53 for just a moment. Paula just made reference to how the wisdom of man viewed the crucifixion of Christ as foolishness. So in context, Paul was saying that Christ and his method of salvation by grace through faith, though in the eyes of men is foolish and weak, it is wiser and stronger than any plan of salvation that any man could come up with. Watch this. For he shall grow up before him. This is speaking of the Messiah to come. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Say tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness, that is, beauty, And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Hmm. In other words, he doesn't look like we think he's supposed to look. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Can you see the foolishness and the weakness seen by men in this man? And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. In other words, we didn't hold him in high regard. But see, that's, what, that's how men saw Jesus. When he was being crucified, they said he's getting what's coming to him. He's obviously being punished by God for his blasphemy of claiming that he was the son of God, blah, blah, blah. But this is, what, this is where the power and the wisdom is. Look at this, verse 4. Surely... He has borne our griefs. He wasn't carrying his griefs. He was carrying our griefs. They saw it as punishment on him for what he did, but it was punishment on him for what we did. He was born our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. See, we just weren't getting it. Verse 5. But he was wounded for what? Our transgressions. He was bruised for? our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Wow, the power and the wisdom that was coming out from God in this moment when all we saw was foolishness and weakness. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. While all that was happening, God, God was putting all the blame on his son for our wandering and for our wrongdoing. No one saw this as wisdom and power. Man's wisdom concluded this to be foolishness and weakness. Verse 26. Any questions? Don. Get that man a microphone. So how did the Jews over, like, they knew this, I mean... How did they just blow that part of it off? I mean, they—how did they misread him? It's a good question. They don't have any answers for Isaiah 53 because it clearly states that he dies. And do they study that now? I mean, I don't know. Messianic Jews do. There we go. Those who believe on him. But I think it's kind of like you know, in our uh, with our non uh, with our denominational friends who don't. Stick in, they don't read Acts 2 very often, and they don't read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, anything to do with speaking in tongues of the gifts. We don't emphasize those verses there. We know they're there. But anyway, it's just kind of, you know, study everything else. Because it really does, it, it, it completely obliterates their whole, their whole system. If they fully embrace Christ as, as the Messiah, than everything that they've known. That's what that's why it was such a shock to the apostle Paul before he was Paul, Saul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, when that light shone from heaven, and he and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And for the first time, Saul, who thought he was fighting for God, understood. For the first time, he was fighting against God. And he said, Who are you, Lord? He knew it was the Lord, but he was also admitting, I don't know who you are. And it was a wake-up call for him. And, and when Jesus said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting, and that revelation of Jesus changes everything for the Jew and the Greek. For you see you're calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, I'm in that number, not many mighty. I'm in that number. Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. You're looking at him. To put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world. Again, to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. You see how God's, God's wisdom works? It works from the bottom up, not from the top down. Those who are well-educated and successful by the world's standards might feel like these passages here uh, mean that they could never be used by God. But that's not the case. It says, Paul didn't say that no wise people were called. He said that not many were called. All right? Paul himself was probably one of the smartest people of his day. I mean, he was highly educated. He was educated by one of the greatest leaders of the Jews of his day. And uh, let's look at that for just a moment, uh, just a few more minutes, and then we'll, we'll close up tonight. Acts chapter 5, verse 34. Um, we talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. Okay, So Gamaliel is a very sensible man. And he's respected by all. Acts chapter 22, verse 3, Paul is giving his testimony. And he says, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. In other words, Paul's not only educated, he was educated by the best. All right? Which to us, it's equivalent to, you know, like going to OU. I'm from Oklahoma, I have to say that, you know. It's the southern Princeton. (laughs) Okay. Hmm. I heard that more people root for OU than they do Oklahoma State because it's easier to spell. Okay. But Paul spoke Greek and Hebrew fluently which was exceptional for his time, and others readily recognized even, even his training. He's standing before uh, King Agrippa, uh, giving a defense for his, his case. And, and the, the proconsul of that time, or the procurator for Rome, was a man by the name of Festus. All right? Now, Paul's speaking. To, let's look at this. It says, Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. All right, so they all saw that Paul was very educated, okay? No doubt. Therefore, so Paul then is not excluding himself. He's just saying in the norm, that's not how God works. Not many wise. Uh, so the man who wrote the, these verses we just read would certainly fit into the category that he was, seemed to be denouncing. The Lord has, has not put a premium on ignorance, so please don't, under, please don't go to that side either, Okay? It's just that most of those who are wise and respected in the eyes of the world are swelled up with pride and depend on their own abilities and don't really see a need for God uh, because they already have successes, gained successes in life. So they don't really see their need for God. And those who have plenty of talents and abilities, they have plenty to give up. But those who are nothing and know it um, are a lot easier, a lot more apt to you know, go to God um, find it easier to transfer all the dependency to the Lord. But I want you to understand something. For a man like Paul, who was an intellectual, he didn't just jump right into full-time ministry. He didn't. When he got converted, he didn't even go see the apostle Peter for three years. And then he had a meeting with Peter, and he stayed with him for 15 days. And then the scripture says, you can read this in Galatians, the end of chapter 1 and over into chapter 2, then he went and was gone for 14 more years before he ever even started his ministry. He has 17 years with Jesus under his belt before he goes and ministers. So he wasn't just immediately going out the, and for good reason because everybody was scared of him. I mean, at one point, he was trying to destroy the church. Now, all of a sudden, he's saying, I love Jesus. <laughs> I mean, they're thinking, does he have a switchblade in his pants? Or I mean, I, how do we trust this guy? But he went away and just let news of that kind of trickle out. And while he had to get with Jesus and learn this message, because this message for for this Jew of Jews, I mean, well-educated, the man was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he said. He was a scholar of the law, and now he's going to preach a gospel to Gentiles. You talk about a slap in the face to a Jew, especially one of that caliber, you're going to take this message to pagans and it looks nothing like your religion. Everything that you preach in your religion is earn, earn, earn. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. You're going to be blessed or you're going to be cursed. You've got to keep the law. You've got to keep the Sabbath. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do that. But when you go preach to the Gentiles, it's have faith in God. Right. The law wasn't even for you. It was contrary to you. It was against you. And Jesus took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He's redeemed you from the curse of the law. He's blessed you with the blessing of Abraham, Gentiles. Can you imagine what a contradiction this must have been to this man? And here he is preaching, and he was was out to make sure that we understood that the, the authenticity and the truth of the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel, must stay intact. We cannot make it a bunch of things. We cannot make it what we feel like it should be. It is Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose again from the dead. We've got to keep preaching that message. Christ died for our sins. Amen. And that's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he paid a high price for it. He was beat to pieces. He was persecuted over and over again. I mean, he he lists all these things he went through. And he wasn't doing that to to get everybody to feel sorry for him. He was just telling them, the price is worth it. And I'd be willing to do anything to make sure that you hear the truth. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Right. That Make sure this is why God is doing it this, this way so that he receives all the glory and no man can say, I did this. Hmm? Y'all remember that commercial? It's shake and bake and I helped. <laughs> huh? You had nothing to do with the helping in this salvation. <laughs> Amen. It's just believe. Thank you, Lord. Now watch this, verse 30. But of him, we're going to finish this chapter, all right? We've got two verses left. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Say, I am in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Now the term, this is interesting, in Christ, in him, in Jesus, is seen much throughout Paul's writings. So I walked through it and I had to count it to see how many times it was there. A hundred and twelve times. In him, in Christ, in Jesus. This is the message he came to preach. The mystery that was hidden From the ages, that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Christ in you means also that you are in him. Verse, the next part of 30, who became for us? Who did this? Who became this for us? Christ. Where are we? We're in Christ. And being in him, he became for us wisdom from God. Wisdom just isn't a principle, it's a person. (laughs) Woo, Wisdom is a person, and he's there in you, and you're in him. And because you have him, you have wisdom from God. And look what else he's become for us, righteousness. Look what else he's become for us. Oh, sanctification. So this whole sanctification isn't all on me. He's the power in sanctification. Amen. And redemption. So the new, new birth doesn't only produce a changed life. It produces a what, Brian? An exchanged life. Hey, my family, we got the better end of that deal. I'll trade you my poor sinful condition for your righteousness, Jesus. Thank you. I'll take that deal any day of the week. I will take that blessing if you'll take my cursing. And Jesus said, I'll do that. I'll take healing if you'll take my sickness and my disease and my pains. And he says, I'll take that deal. I'll take your riches if you'll take my lack, my poverty. And he says, I'll take that deal. Wow. I'll take your forgiveness if you'll be forsaken from me. And he said, I'll take that deal. Thank you. I'll take your life, Jesus, Thank you. if you'll die my death because the wages of sin is death and Jesus said I'll do that Thank you. I'll make that exchange Pray. Pray. why would he do that he loves us. Yeah. Amen. because he loves us because he loves us we're not just Thank you. improving our lives yeah. Thank you. we're now hidden in him Old things are really gone. New things have come. And He's given you everything that you need to live the experience as children of God in the earth in victory, in power, in righteousness, in goodness, in health, in blessing, in joy, in peace, all because these are things that Jesus became for you and I. Mm -mm. I want us to take two minutes. Stand up right now and just spend... A couple of minutes, just thanking him right now. Thanking Jesus for this exchange. Thank him that he took all of the bad stuff. He became sin. He became wounded. He became a curse. He became poor. He became these things so that you and I could have what he had to give to us. We could have his life. We could make that exchange. Oh, the foolishness of the message of the cross. Wow, it was just so unfair. But God did it anyway. Jesus, the just man, the innocent man who did not deserve to die, yet God blamed him. He, he reckoned our sin on him and counted him as the sacrificial lamb. And in so doing, he set us all free. Thank you, Jesus, that you went through what you went through, that you bled and you died for my sins. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you so loved us that you willingly paid the ultimate price of love. You said greater love has no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. And truly, you've done that for us. Thank you for that. Thank you that your blood that was shed for us has meant that we all all our sins are washed away. We have been brought near to God by that precious blood. You didn't just wipe away stains from our lives. You brought us into a relationship with Almighty God as our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. Adopted us right into this family. Chose us, called us out of darkness and brought us into your marvelous life. Why? Because you love us. And you want to be with us forever. You're not ashamed to have us in your family. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. grace tonight. Can we just offer up a great praise tonight? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Bless your wonderful name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com